Hey, what's up, guys? Pete Mundo here. Thanks, as always, for checking out the podcast and downloading it. Really appreciate that. Please uh, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. And when you do that, and if you send me a screenshot of a rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, I will get you a free Heartland College Sports koozie in the mail for you. So I appreciate that and appreciate you and enjoy the show. We'll talk to you soon. Well, sometimes it's the time of year when things just get lost in the shuffle in uh, college football news. And I think this is one of those stories you don't want to overlook. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of HeartlandCollegeSports.com. We are independent Big 12 digital media outlet. And we appreciate you joining us and being a part of the show. So the story is as follows. The Pac-12, and I know what you're saying right off the bat. Oh, you know, this is uh, who cares about the Pac-12? You're a Big 12 podcast. You're a Big 12 show. Hold your horses, okay? Because this is really interesting news. The Pac-12 has dropped the year-in-residence penalty for players transferring from a Pac-12 school to a Pac-12 school. What does that mean? That means that a player going from Oregon State transferring to Oregon will still sit out a year in residence as required by the NCAA, but that year will not count against his eligibility. Now, you might be saying, well, who cares about that because they use the year as a red shirt anyway, and then they're, you know, good to go. Well, what if you come back for your new team and you injure yourself? You can't use a red shirt then. So it's not necessarily about what it means right now, but it's about a continuing trend in college sports. Here's what the Pac-12 said in their official statement, saying, quote, following support from the Pac-12 Council and Pac-12 faculty athletics representatives at their meetings earlier this month, the CEO group voted to eliminate the loss of season penalty for all student athletes who transfer within the conference. This rule change removes one of the last remaining penalties associated with transferring between conference schools and is designed to provide student-athletes with a similar experience to any other student who decides to transfer, end quote. Now, I'm fine with that. First off, you look at this story and you say to yourself, okay, if you're a student and you know you want to leave and you want to go to a new school, nobody bothers you. Nobody says you can't go. You just go. None of this, uh, you know, can't go here, can't go there, because the coach making $5 bucks a year says you can't. Uh, it's ridiculous. And, and I'm not, and if you've listened to this show, you know this, I'm not a rah-rah pay-the-players guy. I think it gets into a very gray area that concerns me. I know the sport's not pure. I understand that. But I, I, I just worry about how the NCAA, how the schools would work that out. Would that cause less parity in college football? I know there's not much right now. I mean, how many times can we watch Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and the uh, college football playoff? And, you know, hey, I love the, seeing the Sooners there. I love seeing any Big 12 team there. But, you know, it's a lot of the same brands year in, year out. So the parity in the sport, despite the fact that we hype it up before the season, has not been all that great in recent years. So would there be even less parity if you had a situation where players are being paid? I'm not going there. But where I am going is with the idea that, you know what? If I want to leave because either the coaching staff gets blown out or, you know, I just think the coaching staff is not doing a good enough job based on my skill sets. I lost a position coach I really like. 
whatever it might be. I believe the player should have the ability to say, I think it's best for me to move on and not have the coach who can jump ship at any point in time sit there and say, well, you got to wait your time, young man. You got to sit, sonny boy. What are you doing? I don't want to hear that from some guy, from some coach. Yeah, why not tell that to your assistant coaches? Oh, you can't go take your next great job. Sorry, you can't do it. No, 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 no. You got to stay here with me. You got to wait your turn. They don't say that to the assistant coaches, do they? No, of course not. Those guys are in and out of the door every 10 minutes, it feels like. So I'm glad the Pac-12 did this. I I give them credit for it. Um, And I think this is a continuing trend of liberalizing the transfer process, which should happen should continue to happen, and maybe the NCAA, I'm not sure the NCAA ever gets to the point where they basically say there's no uh, no problem with transferring, you will not have to sit out a year. I don't think they're going to do that, but they have been very generous in some cases to some of these transfers, and specifically the big-name transfers like Justin Fields going Georgia to Ohio State or Tate Martell going Ohio State to Miami. Been very generous in giving these guys uh, a free pass and letting them play right away. You know, it's supposed to be because of some personal hardship, and frankly, it doesn't look like that always ends up being the case with these guys. So kudos to the Pac-12 doing the right thing, going about this the right way, and basically saying, you know what? We can we can drop that year of residence. It's okay. We'll live. Also, in some not-so-good news for the conference – Uh, And you're probably wondering why I'm bringing up the Pac-12. Here's the deal. You know and I know five years ago it was the Big 12 that was on the brink of extinction. You know, everyone was calling for the demise and the death of the Big 12. It was all over. There was going to be no more Big 12 as soon as it could possibly happen. Well, now it's the Pac-12 that finds itself uh, in the doldrums of the college football hierarchy. The Pac-12 is clearly five of the Power Five conferences. Pac-12 had the revenue fall uh, by $12 million in 2018 to $497 million. Not a massive percentage, obviously, but just something to note. A lot of that did tie to the fact that they didn't get the uh, money from the Rose Bowl since the Rose Bowl every third year is part of the college football playoff rotation. So um, interesting, not great for the conference when you're losing money, even if it's just because of uh, bowl revenue. But Uh, The Pac-12 right now is as unappealing as any Power 5 conference, and it's not even close. You can make an argument for the SEC, the Big Ten, uh, the Big 12, and and then I think you get to the ACC, which is being carried by a singular school in Clemson. I saw earlier this week that Clemson, uh, it's ridiculous how well Dabo Sweeney is recruiting there. Uh, They got the number two overall recruit, a five-star guy, a defensive end, Miles Murphy, announcing his commitment in the class of 2020. He chose Clemson over Auburn, and he joins a fellow five-star on the defensive line, Brian Brees, who's the number one defensive tackle in the class of 2020. And and you wonder why Brent Venables did not have interest in taking the head coaching job at Kansas State? The guy just got the uh, number two overall recruit at defensive end. He's got the number one defensive tackle in America in the class of 2020. And and Clemson is recruiting at as high of a level as any team in America. And that includes Nick Saban. That's how good Dabo Sweeney and that Clemson Tiger program is doing right now. So uh, the Brent Venables thing was always going to be a long shot. 
and with each addition that they get uh, on the recruiting trail, it's like, yeah, that was that was probably never going to happen. But for the Pac-12, which has had itself, of course, some tough times, I think it's a chance to to look back on the past few years and really appreciate what Bob Bowlesby has done for this conference in continuing to grow it in a smart, conservative way. You know, when when Bowlesby came on, um, I I was cautiously optimistic. The conference was not in a great place. It was not overly healthy. It um, had a lot of infighting at the top. Bowlesby came in as a respected professional and just did the job and did it really well, and people listened to him. You know, Larry Scott was kind of the boom and bust of the Power Five. He had the big plan of the Super Conference. He was going to get it going. He had the own network with the Pac-12. Larry Scott's the Pac-12 commissioner. It was all lined up. Pac-12 was going to be the king of college football, and it all came crashing down. And then Bob Bowlesby comes in, quiet, humble. Not a great soundbite. He's not. And he's, you know, he'll answer your questions, but trying to get him on the show, by the way, see if we can make that happen sometime in the next few weeks. But that's just not who he is. It's not who Bob Bowlesby is. He's not a, a, a ton of bluster there. It's just, it's not. So you're sitting here and you're following this and you're seeing the Pac-12, which everybody's telling you is about to explode. Not a lot of draft picks in the uh, NFL draft, you know, and all that stuff. And, and here we are, 2019. And you can make a very solid case the Big 12 is as healthy as any conference in America. Now, that's not to mean the speculation's not going to start all over again as we get close to these next TV contracts coming up in 2023, 2024, 2025, depending on which conference you're in. That's still going to happen. But the good news is that the Big 12 is not at the bottom of the pecking order. The Big 12 is not the team that's going to be or the conference that's going to be overlooked. And uh, the Big 12 has respect, and a large part of that respect ties in to Bob Bowlesby and the job that he has done. And he deserves the credit for it, uh, probably more than we give him. And that's something that, you know, he should be very proud of. And you think to his career and where this guy has been, and you talk about being the AD at places like Northern Iowa, uh, then at University of Iowa, then at Stanford, and then coming to the Big 12 in 2012. He was also part of the United States Olympic Committee for the 20, uh, 2008 Summer Olympics in Beijing. He has done it all. He has done it professionally with a lot of success, and he puts a guy like Dan Beebe to shame. Uh, Dan Beebe was almost the reason this conference completely fell apart. Uh, you want to talk about a goober and a half, it was Dan Beebe. And instead, they bring in a guy like Bob Bowlesby, and they start to repair this thing, and he has done a really good job of it. Unlike the disaster that was the Big 12 era under Dan Baby from 2007 to 2011, and who knows, you know, if if Baby doesn't uh, doesn't arguably single handedly destroy this thing, not on his own, but not keeping his athletic directors and his presidents and everything else uh, as a cohesive unit, there is no Bob Bowlesby. Just doesn't happen. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of HeartlandCollegeSports.com. It's great to have you on board, being a part of the show. We've got a lot to get to. Hang tight. More next on Heartland College Sports Weekly.
Well, I've got to admit, I feel pretty bad for the TCU Horned Frogs football program right now. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. It's great to have you on board and uh, joining us. Please do uh, go ahead and uh, subscribe to our forums, message boards. They're on heartlandcollegesports.com. They are free. It allows you to interact with other Big 12 fans, so please do go uh, check that out. So TCU, this was reported this week uh, by the Kansas City Star has been accused again for mistreating a former player. This time, it is former quarterback Sean Robinson, who is now with the Missouri Tigers. And the report said that Robinson has filed a waiver for immediate eligibility with Missouri, alleging he was mistreated during his time with the Horn Frogs. The allegations uh, tie back to Robinson's 2018 season. Now, if you recall, he suffered an injury, a shoulder injury, against Iowa State in late September. And despite that injury, he ended up starting the next two games against Texas Tech and Oklahoma, but he did struggle with the injury in both games and eventually was replaced by Michael Collins against OU. So TCU is defending itself, rightfully so, and saying that it was Robinson who wanted to play through the injury. He did as much during his high school career, and he was not pressured to play through it by the coaching staff. So TCU claims it's not going to contest the decision if Robinson is granted immediate eligibility, but the program will continue to defend itself against the allegations of mistreatment. I don't blame them. Uh, This is now the second time in as many years that they have had these types of allegations against them. If you recall, last February of 2018, Colby Listenby filed a lawsuit against TCU, against Gary Patterson, and against the Big 12 for a million dollars in damages for a pattern of abuse and harassment. That case was settled earlier this month. And, you know, I don't know what happened. I have no idea. All I know is that there is motivation for Sean Robinson, and you need a way to be eligible immediately, and this might be the way he thinks he can do it. If he is lying... And if this is just a ploy to become eligible immediately to not to sit out a season, it's disgusting. It's despicable. And you know what the NCAA should be doing? The NCAA should be investigating this. Investigate it. Now, that means talking to people, looking at emails, texts, whatever it might be. Investigate it. Because this, uh, if it is not true... There have to be repercussions because you are slandering a football program. You are slandering Gary Patterson, and you are slandering that coaching staff. It's disgraceful if it is not true. And I have no way of knowing. It just seems to me a little too convenient because Sean Robinson, obviously, you know, with the new redshirt rule, he could be eligible this year playing up to four games and still maintain that redshirt. Right? I mean, that's the new rule. Kelly Bryant, the former Clemson quarterback, is expected to be the starter this fall for the Missouri Tigers. So Robinson's basically saying, all right, I want to be eligible this year. I want to play in four games, whatever it might be. Still maintain my red shirt, but get my feet wet here in uh, Columbia, and then I'm the starter come the uh, 2020 season. That's, you know, arguably how he's looking at it. But to throw TCU under the bus like this, And to say, yeah, I was mistreated there. That's one of the worst things you could allege a coaching staff or a head coach of. And it's now twice in two years for Gary Patterson. Now, if something is going on there, then the hammer should be brought down on Gary Patterson and his coaching staff. You know, but it just seems to me at this point in time, 
a little too convenient based on everything going on. So I would like to get to the bottom of this. I would like to see you know, what proof or conversations or uh, witnesses or anything like that Sean Robinson might have. But how is the NCAA going to uh, figure this out? How are they going to grant the uh, eligibility waiver? What are they going off of? Are they calling a couple people, seeing what the deal was, and then moving on? I'd love to know what the NCAA has in mind and what they have planned because, frankly, it's gotten to the point where it's it's uh, the NCAA. I mean, they've been a joke for a long time, right? We know that. But this is comical how these transfers are being handled, whether it's Tate Martell, Justin Fields, those two big-name quarterbacks, or Sean Robinson, any of them. It's ridiculous. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. It's uh, great to have you on board, and we appreciate you joining us here each and every week. So, OU, if you missed this, and this is a big deal. Uh, This came down a couple of weeks ago, but I wanted to touch on it because it's part of a trend in college football that's not going anywhere. OU is going to be cashing in on the booze. They are allowing alcohol sales at athletic events starting this fall. They had a pilot program by selling alcohol at sporting events, including basketball, softball, and baseball games, as well as last month's spring game. The school said they had no incidents that were alcohol-related part of the pilot program, so they are joining Tulsa and Oklahoma State in their state, who recently began alcohol sales during home football games. And in the Big 12, that list now includes OU, Oklahoma State, Texas, and West Virginia as home stadiums where fans can buy beers. This is not going anywhere. This is not ending. This is only going to continue because guess what? Alcohol makes universities money, and nobody is money hungrier right now than big-time college athletic programs and universities. They all have budgets where their costs are going up, um, and guess what? In many cases, especially state schools, they are not increasing the budgets for these universities at the same pace. So whether it's on the athletic side or the education side, however the money is being used, I promise you, nobody is going to go to uh, a university and say, we want you to stop making money. And there's no university that is going to say we want to stop making money. No way. It's not going to happen. So this is the way of the future. You know, for uh, if you're somebody who's a purist and you say, I don't think they should sell alcohol in college football stadiums anymore. I don't think they should be doing that. Go back to 1950 with Newt Rockney. I don't know what to tell you because this is the way of the future. I guarantee outside of maybe some religious-based institutions, I don't know if a Baylor uh, would say no to that. I assume that if there was a Big 12 school who would be late to this party, it's probably a Baylor. That's not a knock on them. That's just a they're a private school, religious choice, more power to them, do what they want. Pretty sure BYU won't be on that list either anytime soon. But this is a way for these schools to make a ton of money. We're talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. That's serious dough that they can use, they can put back into the program. So don't expect that to be ending um, anytime soon. I want to give a shout-out to a Big 12 player, Thomas McAvity. He's a JUCO transfer at quarterback for the Kansas Jayhawks. And he is somebody who, the former pick quarterback, could end up being the starter this fall for the Kansas Jayhawks. Spent last season with the uh, Mesa Community College program, and in his only year at the JUCO level, he threw for over 1,000 yards and 16 touchdowns. 
I don't know what Kansas is doing at quarterback. It hasn't had a quarterback in what feels like 20 years. It's probably been more like 10 if you go back to the you know 08 season or shortly thereafter. That's it. The last time they had a, a quarterback worth anything. But if McAvity is a guy who Les Miles, and I know Les Miles is not exactly a quarterback whisperer. He's not. But if he's somebody who can just be decent, move around a little bit, if he can be an answer at quarterback for KU, and I know they've tried this route and KU fans are rolling their eyes at another Juco guy coming in here trying to be the answer for the Kansas football Jayhawks, I get it. You should be very skeptical. But, you know, he's made a couple of lists. Athlon Sports threw him on their Juco quarterbacks to watch in 2019 list. And uh, let's see what he's got. I saw him at the spring game. He was all right. You know, no one knocked my socks off there. But just a name to keep an eye on and give KU a little shout-out. They're trying to turn things around there. More power to him. And uh, let's see what this guy, Thomas mcavity has got in him. You know, let's see if he's the real deal or not or if he's – just another JUCO quarterback coming to Lawrence trying to make a, something out of himself. We'll see. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Let's wrap up the show next. Well, the final few minutes on the show, it's always uh, it's always a great time to touch on some interesting topics. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. So, you know, you have Iowa State. This is whenever I look at Derek Duke's weekly mailbag, which I suggest many of you read if you don't. It's a great thing to get you through these dog days of uh, of summer and thinking about and dreaming about college football. So uh, Derek Duke always gets asked some interesting questions on our mailbag. And one he got asked this week was, or last week, was why does the universe, it was by our friends at Wide Right Natty Light, they do a great job covering Iowa State, Question, why does the universe continue to punish Iowa State with 11 a.m. kickoffs? And I'm telling you, I am wondering the same damn thing. You know, I live in Kansas City, and I am going to be in Ames this fall. I don't know when, but I promise I will be doing a game in Ames this fall. We will do a Heartland College Sports tailgate. I'm thinking first half of the season, whether it's Iowa or Oklahoma State, one of those games. I think TCU's early in the year as well. But last year, you know, there were a couple times when I thought about making the trip. You know, it's about three and a half hours from Kansas City to Ames. And I'm like, ah, it's 11 a.m. You know, I, I don't want to spend on the hotel for two nights. What am I going to do? Leave at, at six and maybe I can get in an hour and a half tailgate? You know, leave at five, try to get a two-hour tailgate in? If I'm going to tailgate, I'm going to do it right, baby. I'm going to do it right by you. So these 11 a.m. kickoffs in Ames, I, I, I'm with you guys at Wide Right Natty Light. They're frustrating. But one thing I'll say to add to that conversation is OU had a lot of 11 a.m. games last year as well, if you recall. And Derek mentions that outside of the uh, Army game, the entire first half of the season felt like for OU was 11 a.m. That's the fault of ESPN. That's the fault of Fox. Because here's what's going on. They want a solid game in the 11 a.m. slot. They don't want to waste the 2.30 slot central time or the night games on a bunch of really good stuff. They want to spread out the really good stuff. So if they're going to put a a primo, whatever, Ohio State game on Fox at 3.30, does FS1 want to put an OU game at 3.30? 
or do they want to put the OU game on the big Fox at 11 a.m.? You see what I'm saying here? They want to maximize their windows of 11 a.m., 2.30, and then the night game as best as they can and as balanced as they can. And because there is still that SEC Big Ten biased, they will give those top conferences, or in their eyes, top conferences, and the top teams in those conferences the benefit of the doubt with the 2.30 or the 7 o'clock kickoff. And then they'll say, oh, yeah, we like Oklahoma. Or, yeah, Iowa State's a good, fun team to watch. They would be great in the 11 a.m. slot because we don't want to interfere with people watching Ohio State or watching Alabama at three or at 2.30. So we'll put them in the 11 a.m. spot. That's what we'll do. I'm telling you, that's how these TV networks think. And that's why it's felt like this to me uh, for a couple of years now, that the Big 12 – some of their games that are really good games that should be either mid-afternoon or prime time yeah, end up at 11 a.m. because the networks are trying to stagger it as best as they can. And they'd rather have OU lock in that prime time 11 a.m. spot instead of having them go up against Ohio State or LSU or Alabama or something like that. And it's, it's a damn shame. It's a damn shame, but I promise you it is not changing anytime soon uh, because now the Big 12's in bed with ESPN even more so than they were since the ESPN took uh, took all the Big 12 championships games. They're going to be on ESPN+. Plus. That's how it's going to work. And it's, it's too bad, but it is what it is. Also, what should we expect when it comes to the Baylor Bears this fall? Is Baylor the sleeper that everybody should fear in the Big 12? And I think the answer is yes, even a notch above a team like Iowa State. You know, Iowa State, I'm confident Matt Campbell can keep this thing going, but let's not forget what they are losing. Gosh, it's a lot. Yes, Brock Purdy is back, but Hakeem Butler, David Montgomery, Willie Harvey, a couple of cornerbacks. Uh, As much confidence as I have in Matt Campbell and that staff, there is a lot missing there that's got to be talked about. Whereas Baylor, you're bringing so much back. Jalen Hurd's gone, but my goodness, you get a third-year quarterback in Charlie Brewer. You have so many offensive weapons coming back. Uh, You have an offensive line that's hopefully a little bit older, a little bit more mature, and does a better job. And while you're skeptical of the defense overall, find me the team in the Big 12 that you can say right now with confidence is a more likely dark horse pick to beat Oklahoma or Texas than the Baylor Bears. I'm not seeing that team right now. Maybe you are. I'm not seeing that team, especially when you look at their first few games. I mean, they can be five and one, no problem early in the season. And that's something that, you know, you have to look at. And we talked about that last week in our best case versus worst case scenarios for every team in the Big 12. If you haven't um, listened to that show, check it out on the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. But there's no other team. I mean, go down the list right now and say, all right, who is the most likely team to give OU or Texas some trouble? Not going to say Kansas. Not going to say K-State, sorry. Oklahoma State's still trying to figure out its quarterback situation. Same with TCU. Texas Tech has a new coach. A lot of, uh, a lot of things to take care of there. And West Virginia lost a ton uh, to the NFL and has a new head coach and everything else. So right now, they're they're – For the first time in a while, it's shaping up to be a Big 12 that is not as deep as it's been over the past five years. It's shaping up to be a Big 12 that might be more top-heavy with OU and Texas. 
But if you're asking me who's that team right now that's going to crash the party, I, I have to look in Waco, Texas. You know, that can change, obviously, as we get closer to the season and things start to turn. But I, I, I don't see how I'm changing my opinion right now. No way, no how. I'm just – I'm not doing it. Uh, but I'm not confident that Baylor's in that OU Texas category yet. I'm just not. But I'm confident that if there is a team that can do it as of today in the Big 12 – it is the Baylor Bears, and it is Matt Rule. And hopefully Matt Rule does not decide to take an NFL job between now and August 31st. I think we're okay. I think we're okay there, Coach Rule, but I'm hoping that doesn't happen. Um, that That's the only thing that can derail this program. And not derail them, but set them back a little bit. Uh, what Rule has done with that program has been impressive, really impressive in a short period of time. I just hope he wants to stay. And that's been my concern from the get-go. The guy had NFL ties. He was primarily an east coast guy uh, you know waco texas is a great place i've been there a couple of times been kind enough to be invited to a couple of uh you know various tailgates i've enjoyed it i like waco my wife loves joanna and chip Gaines. <laughs> she's all about magnolia but it's not for everybody you know and a guy like Matt Rule might just feel like, you know, I, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. I think I'm going to pass. I think I'm going to go back to the NFL. But he has made this job more appealing than it would have been for anybody else where it was a couple of years ago in the wake of the Art Browse nonsense. And that's that's a kudos to him. That's a kudos to Mac Rhodes. It's a kudos to everybody involved with that university that made a really good hire. And you are starting to see that pay off. And you started to see it pay off last year. Now you just, just got to keep him there because he can do some special stuff. He can win 10 games a year there. I have complete confidence in Matt Rule doing that. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Uh, always great to have you on board and, and being a part of the show. It is the dog days of the season. We are hopefully getting closer to more action, full previews, everything else going on. So stay tuned. Hang tight. We can't wait to talk to you next week, so I uh, really appreciate it. Please do rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. I'll send you a free Heartland College Sports koozie if you do that. And uh, just email me, Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, a screenshot of the rating and review. Have a great week, guys. We'll talk to you soon.